0: These are crazy times for white guys. We are not the most popular people on the planet. It doesn't matter if you grew up rich or poor, in a city, small town, suburbs. If you're a white dude, you know what I'm talking about. We've got some work to do. This podcast is about white guys who are breaking the mold. And they're doing things that are causing a whole new kind of happiness for everybody. I'm John Poor. In today's episode, our new white guy is Jared Middleton, who's a high school teacher from Springdale, Arkansas. And I read about Jared in USA Today. The article mentioned that he and other teachers around the country were protesting not being able to teach their students the history of racism and why the damage it does still persists today, even long after the civil rights movement. It's a real hot-button issue right now in the U.S. With those against it, including some parents and school board members, claiming it will make white students ashamed of their race and their country Jared and lots of other teachers don't agree meanwhile laws are being passed that make it difficult for them to teach their students about the impacts of racism this is why Jared organized a rally that day and I became really interested in learning more about it and him so welcome to the show Jared and I hope um, I hope you can share with us you know a little bit about yourself you know your younger years and and all the things that might've led up to you taking this wonderful stand that you took?
1: Well, first off, thank you for having me. It's it's a honor and a privilege. Yeah, so grew up, uh, born and raised in Arkansas. So uh, smack dab in the middle of the Bible belt, right? Dad, uh, my dad was, I'm I'm a PK, I'm a preacher's kid. Not just a preacher's kid, but a Baptist preacher's kid. And not just a Baptist preachers, but a Southern Baptist preacher's kid. Wow. then turned non-denominational which was interesting in and of itself and that's one of my really only experiences or interactions with people of color and more about that later. So dad was a preacher um, and then mom was the choir director and so (laughs) uh, grew up in the church, uh, grew up in the Baptist church, then non-denominational church, uh, Methodist church, um, but church, right? And grew up mainly in a town uh predominantly of white people um i say predominantly the town was white not harrison arkansas white but white you know they had there was those there were a few exceptions here and there you know um but other than that one family because they were light-skinned they could be you know it's almost like uh they could fly under the radar i'm not dare i say white passing but they were accepted um come to think about it uh that guy he was he and i graduated together actually just different towns so him and his family were the exception um unfortunately Uh, and so my experience uh with people of color was very very minimal one of the regular interactions that i had growing up when we moved to greenwood was the non denominational church and yeah every now and then we uh go to friend of the family's house for dinner on Sunday, family of color. They would join us for Sunday dinner from time to time. But outside of really Sundays, that was really it. And then I want to say that my awakening started like my full awakening, the full-on like new lens, like we, I need to reckon with myself and, and our history. Uh, that came May 25 uh, 2020 with George Floyd's murder. But there, there have been, as I look back, and um, even conversing with you, like little pockets of—I well, don't know what you would call—foreshadowing.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> you know, for instance, growing up in Greenwood, the first true black kid. You know, he was quiet. He was a he. He was a popular kid. Um, I didn't necessarily care for the guy because he was a bully to me. Um, yeah. So I mean, we're both in choir together, but you know, he would be poking fun. He would, you know, be making it, taking his shots at me or whatever. How old were you guys? Ah, uh, eleven, twelve. Okay, so young. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and so we were like in seventh grade choir together, you know. And so that'd um, be what twelve, thirteen, maybe. Um, his his experience or his welcoming uh, to our to our lovely town. Um, was i think it was either Hall- i can't remember if it was halloween or christmas but local kkk chapter ended up burning a cross in his yard so that's what he woke up to that morning uh. a Cross burning in the yard um i only know that because uh one of my friends was a family member of a person who participated in that
0: oh uh. you're 11 or 12.
1: Yeah, and I don't remember exactly how I was. I know I didn't think it was okay then, but Mm -hmm. what do you want me to do with that information? You know, I don't like the kid, but I know that that's not right. Yeah. You know? So my parents were divorced, and uh, so I was living with one parent. I moved in with the other parent in Northwest Arkansas for my high school years. And that's when I got a real sense of what diversity looks like and um so it was quite the eye-opening experience for me but even then I still um you know I can recall some of my racist tendencies um towards people of color because I carried that stereotype I carried that um what media in the um entertainment field portrayed black and brown people to be so I had that constantly going but uh, um and you know, you know, when I saw something that fit that narrative, I'm like, yep, okay. You know, there it is. There's yeah. proof, right? But all the while, you know, the history being taught completely glossed over, you know? Um, no, they weren't settlers. You know, they were not colonizers. They're settlers, you know? Um, no, they weren't genocidal towards Native Americans and indigenous people. Look at the first Thanksgiving. They celebrated together. And, you know, just... All of that BS <laughs> uh. that, that we now know not to be the case. And so just getting that whitewashed, um, glossed over history also was not helping the issue. But then again, I didn't know that at the time. Yeah. But looking back, I can't help but wonder, had I been taught that real history? You know, and had that reckoning with, um, how did you, how'd you call it? Um, racialized history? Yeah. Um Had I been taught that then, there's no telling, you know, and the same thing for my own students. And that's one of the reasons why I took a stand. I'm like, they deserve a true history. They deserve an honest history. They don't need to wait or should not be forced to wait uh, 30 plus years to figure it out for themselves. And it baffles me. (laughs) <laughs> i just this thought just came to mind the same men that are trying to tell women what they can and cannot do with their bodies are trying to tell teachers what they can and cannot teach in the classroom yeah <laughs> so they deserve the true history they don't need to wait for another 30 plus years to figure it out for themselves and have another another national reckoning on racism because didn't we do this 40 years ago didn't we do this another 40 years before that And so I think that's one of the reasons why I took one of the many reasons why I took my stand that I did um, organizing that rally to stand in solidarity with other educators across this country that um, refuse to lie to our students and pledge publicly to teach the truth and teach honest history and the role that racism played in developing this country from day from day one. Yeah, you can tell me, well, there wasn't slavery until after Nathan's Rebellion. Well, there was still genocide going on with the indigenous people. So don't give me, you know, come on, let's be real. You know, (laughs) Um, so, man, sometimes I get off on a tangent. Well, it, it Uh, it
0: wasn't in my history books either. And what I found as a older person trying to figure this out on my own without my teacher's help Mm-hmm. I had to read I had to read a bunch of books mm-hmm. and then and then I couldn't believe that the books I was reading I didn't I was like how come I didn't I went to good supposedly very good schools and I'm like this was left out of the curriculum yeah. what yeah. the heck happened
1: <laughs> well, wow yeah that's um, that was one of the first lessons that I taught my students is that uh, history is written by the victors yes so who are the victors in, in American history if you want a prime example of that, let me show you a picture of the signing of the Declaration of Independence that is so famously displayed. They looked a little bit They're like all us. White. Anything else? They're all men. What do you think about that, guys? <laughs> like, Constitution for all. What are you talking about? We the people. This is coming from my high school students. Bear in mind, I also teach special education, you know, special ed kids that get it. You can't tell me that this can't be taught in general education classrooms. And you cannot tell me teaching about racism or bringing racism into the lessons will only perpetuate racism or make my white students feel guilty and my black and brown students feel victimized and oppressed. Really? Come on in my classroom. Let me show you a few things.
0: Ah, uh, what's it? What's it like when you do? When you really do share the the real truth with your students? What do you notice?
1: That. They're not necessarily, I mean, some of them are surprised, because if they're familiar with the stories, like, let's say Columbus, right? You know, Discovered America, 1492, Columbus Hill, the ocean blue, you know, and, and it was a wonderful thing, and because of that, it kicked off a world, Age of Exploration, and all these other, some of that may be very true, but at the same time, it's not as fluffy and happy as that. So, when we did our Columbus lesson, or started to do the Age of Exploration unit, I read, the first chapter of Young People's History of the United States by Howard Zinn. And it is, uh, it's all about Columbus coming from the perspective of the indigenous people that lived on that island. And for the love of Pete, I cannot remember the name of that tribe. Probably mainly because Columbus, you know, exterminated that entire tribe, you know, Uh, so there are no descendants of that tribe left. And that's just one example. So when I was sharing that with them, now, I wasn't that graphic, but we did get to that point and they made that connection. They didn't seem very at all surprised other than the fact that, holy crap, he did that to those people. Man, how arrogant is he? He's just, he's really, you know, he's a fool of himself, that type of thing. And then they were, they were vocal. They were appropriate for school. I found them to be very appropriate reactions, very appropriate questions that led to some honest conversations and unpacking what really happened compared to what, for instance, you and I were taught in school.
0: And you said to me yesterday in our conversation that George Floyd really helped you wake up even more. And in, in, a, in a way, you're getting to these kids younger, saying kind of what George Floyd did for you. In mm. a way, you're giving you're creating the conditions for them to wake up earlier. Is that, is that how you look at it?
1: Kind of to your point you need to learn this now so that way you're not having to live through my mistakes. You're, you're much better than that. You're smarter than that. And I don't want that for you. I know that you guys can handle these kinds of conversations. Even to my own kids who are 11 and 15 years old, you know, not just my high school students. Yeah. In fact, my 11 year old, she cracks me up. She's, she just got done reading a book by, uh, uh, the historian Henry Louis Gates jr. Mm. <laughs> And
0: what kinds of things are is she taking?
1: Away from oh man. Her? Um, she's learning about the the injustices in different systems at eleven years old. Yeah. You know, she's seeing things that I wasn't seeing two years ago. Learning about the inequalities that are there. And um wow. And really as a result of what me and her mom my wife are exposing ourselves to and exposing them to as well I mean when if it's appropriate they're going to watch it like you know um, I mean th- right now the best we can do is um, those family sitcoms on Netflix or uh, uh, Paramount Plus streaming service like All in the Family or uh, The Upshaws or even old school print, uh, Fresh Prince going back to those episodes and just exposing that to them and being able to explain some of that to them you know not to say that hey we're the epitome in all answers to everything black don't get me wrong but i feel like we know enough that if we need to we can explain and if we don't we have people in our lives that can explain that to them which is something that i didn't have growing up and no fault to my own no fault to my parents either
0: you know no but you're 40 i'm 54 Uh if if we go back I wasn't exposed to it there wasn't a place to have a conversation in my particular family there wasn't like an easy way to bring up topics around our whiteness or um, the 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 plight of people of color and racism Mm -hmm. it just wasn't what you brought up over meatloaf on Wednesday yeah no, Uh, no right now so but you know so so the way we were socialized Mm -hmm. was to just avoid it, not talk about it, and then have a a complete false narrative about why those people are suffering, right? They're suffering because dot, dot, dot. Yeah,
1: well, if only they just, you know, they pulled themselves up by their own bootstraps. And, you know, they worked a little harder. Had they, if they complied, you know, had they done this, had they done that?
0: What got you to the place where you're vocal on this stuff? You're taking risks amongst your white colleagues, some of those colleagues who probably aren't as, may not be as excited about the stand you're taking. What got you to this place?
1: Um, so for the past year, a friend of mine and I have been doing our own podcast, um, completely centered around racism. Um, and it started out with, while I'm learning, I had just read uh, like George Floyd's murder had just happened. We we're two weeks out from that. I had read, uh, Hasi Coates is uh, Between the World and Me. I was reading White Fragility, um, reading On the Come Up, reading um, Black authors, listening to uh, podcasts by Black presenters and authors and writers, um, and exposing myself uh, to a whole, literally, a whole new world for me. And so during that process of that podcast and all that learning, there was a lot of growth. During a lot of our conversations, uh, my partner and I, you know, we're talking, hey, we got to do something. Let's put some action behind this. We got to do something. And opportunity presented itself for me to be able to do that. And so when I got the email from Zen Education Project for Teach the Truth Day of Action Rally, yeah, it, it took, I will admit, it did take me a couple of days, but I finally did say, yes, let's do this. Because I knew, because in my hesitancy, to your point, was that risk. What do you, what do and, you mean by that? Well... Let's say had the legislation passed, right? And I publicly speak out against it. I'm already putting my district at jeopardy of losing money. And you know how money goes, right? (laughs) Uh, Yeah, they don't like that. So the district loses money, therefore the school loses money. So it'd be better off and cheaper just to get rid of the teacher that's causing the problem, right? So that, you know, I knew that that would be one of the risks. As far as losing friendships, losing what relationships, work relationships, that type of thing. You know, at the end of the day, that's on them. It's not on me. I know where I stand. I know what the truth is. And if they don't like it and they don't want to deal with it, they don't want to hear it. They don't want to be associated with it. That's their decision. That's on them.
0: Wow. That's what it loses. But what it loses for both of us
1: at at that same time, though, is maybe that camaraderie. But at the same time, it'll at least tell me where I stand with that person.
0: So, that was your fear before you took action?
1: As far as my personal relationships, yeah, that was it. But as far as the fear with the district and the money and losing my job and potentially my license, you know what? I've said it before, I'll say it again. There are more important things that are worth fighting for because I can get a job anywhere. I lose my job in Arkansas, I can go and be a teacher in another state. I lose a job in Springdale, I can go to another district nearby. Will I carry a reputation with me? Probably. Do I care? Not really. Because again, okay. it's it's not my problem, it's theirs.
0: Okay, so there's always this fear at leading up to when you take a stand. It takes courage. Y- you say, these were my fears, and then you took your stand, and now it's been a week and a half. What's, what's presenting itself? Anything?
1: Absolutely nothing, actually. Not right now, anyway. As much as I can say and be speculative and say, we'll see what August comes, I still got the rest of June and July to worry about.
0: Did any of your colleagues say, hey, that was cool what you did or good job? I've actually
1: had one person this past year because I post a lot of anti-racist things and they know where I stand. And I've had one person and she was actually my direct supervisor. And it's cool. I mean, it's both sad and cool uh, what she said. And that was, um, uh, yeah, I've noticed I've been seeing I've been seeing what you post. I like I agree with what you're saying but she's not going to publicly say it mm-hmm. you know so that's yeah. so I'm getting a lot of behind closed doors conversations of support but when it comes to saying anything or doing anything
0: publicly yeah mm-hmm. no, I'm not going to do that well so I'm curious um, what's it like for you emotionally having taken this courageous stand what's it feel like You know, what's it, what's it like for you now
1: it felt like something needed to be done, I was in a position to be able to do it. And, you know, I felt like I was doing the right thing.
0: How's that feel? Go back five years. You were still yeah. in the education system in some form. Sure. Um, and, and you weren't taking these stands. So I, what's, I wasn't. What's it feel like now to be someone who takes stands? Liberating. Liberating? I mean, it's already out there.
1: My position's been made. So if you plural are aware of that coming to me and you want to have these kinds of conversations, you know what you're going to get into. To speak to that level of fear I get uh, having done that one time, I know I can easily do it again and I look forward to the opportunities that
0: come down the road. So that's awesome. I'm curious reflecting on your own life and now that you're one of these white guys who gets involved. What what advice would you give other white guys to waking up and becoming more active? Um, there's going to be a time
1: where you're going to come to the reckoning with your whiteness <laughs> and recognize that, again, it's not about you. It's a bigger picture and you're just a part of that big picture. Apart from that, the inform- there's a lot of information out there, and I highly recommend starting out with Ava DuVernay's documentary 13th. And then after that, take it one day at a time. Don't get overwhelmed because you, you will easily get overwhelmed. There's a lot of things we weren't taught. There's a lot of things that uh, weren't made public. And so we got a lot of catching up to do. Take it once one day at a time.
0: That's great advice. Jared, it's been so wonderful to visit with you because your story... Um, at first, you didn't think it was a very unique story. Um, it, is, it, is, it is both generic, like many of us were socialized in these ways. Mm-hmm. Um, but I appreciate how you moved from your childhood and some of those experiences into this person now who the kids that you affect on a daily basis are so lucky to have you in their lives because they get to, they get to learn the real story. And what a gift that is.
1: There's not many things that I'm willing to lose my job or license over. But speaking the truth, teaching the truth, and then advocating for my students are definitely two hills I'm willing to take my stand on. And there's nothing that can be said or done to, to convince me otherwise. Um, so...
0: I just want to thank you for taking time to share with us today.
1: Thank you for the time. I appreciate the opportunity.
0: We circled back with Jared to see how he fared after taking his stand and we're happy to report that he still has his teaching job and he seems to be doing quite well. In fact, he's organized two more rallies and working with other colleagues, he started an organization for teachers called the Educators' Equity Coalition. Jared, nice job. So we've reached the end of this new white guy episode. If you like what you heard, tell a friend and subscribe. To find out more about us, things you can do, ways to connect with other new white guys, check out our website at thenewwhiteguy.com. If this was your first step towards being a new white guy, we hope it's the first of many. What's it feel like to be someone who takes stance? Liberating. Hey. Just want to give a special thanks to the New White Guy team who make this podcast happen. Editor Peggy Poor, may or may not be related to me, and advisors Patrick Brown and Travis Burdick.